0: This is Unfiltered, episode 258 for November 8th, 2017.
1: You want to look at Hillary Clinton and you want to look at the new book that was just put
2: out by Donna Brazil, where she basically bought the DNC and she stole the election from Bernie. Donna Brazil, a former interim Democratic Party chair, writes in her new book, Hacks, that she stumbled onto a shocking truth about the Clinton campaign. She writes, I told Bernie the cancer was that she had exerted this control of the party long before she became its nominee. The accusation that Clinton stacked the deck against Sanders.
0: Welcome to Unfilter, episode 258 of Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly show that's watching all of the horrible news, so that way you don't have to. My name is Chris, and Mr. Chase, he's out this week. I think he's bench-pressing pinball machines. That might not have been what he told me, but it's probably cooler than what he did tell me. And the show had to go on this week, because it's a huge, huge show. This week, sort of... Concludes or adds at least a hell of a lot more context and first hand experience to a lot of things that we have prepostulated, if you will, on this here show. I got Donna Brazil's new book, and I read it so you don't have to. And um, I've I've pulled a few excerpts that we're gonna go through. I got a few clips of her interviews. There is actually really interesting things that are in this book. A lot of revisionist history. And we'll get into that, too. It's it was I, I, I crammed this thing because it, it came out yesterday as we record this show. So I crammed that book for the show and uh, I walked away with a few interesting details and they're all fresh. But we got to start with our cyber, my friends. And everybody's trying to make a buck on cyber these days. Even AT&T thinks they can make a buck. Yeah. Yeah. AT&T.
3: So this is for your businesses. How protected is your organization against today's growing and evolving base of cyber risks?
0: Oh, you got a base
3: of cyber risks, guys, and you got to be sure you're watching it. For many organizations, the answer remains unknown. Cybersecurity Rating, powered by BitSight, measures your security posture. So, BitSight is their cybersecurity
0: rating. This guy's gonna go horse if he keeps that up. And this is their number system. And they just give you a cybersecurity number. And as long as you got a good number, you're safe. Because BitSafe tells you so. And compares it against
3: other companies around the world to help you understand just how protected you really are, your greatest vulnerabilities. And how AT&T can help you address them. Unlike other tools that yeah. simply examine policies and conduct periodic scans. No, not those. Cybersecurity rating there you provides go. the most relevant and comprehensive ratings. So
0: they got everybody's trying to get in on this market. AT&T is now offering a repackaged cybersecurity data diligence package where they look at your sender policy framework, your domain keys, your open ports and give you a cybersecurity rating and then measure you against your peers. It's uh, AT&T cybersecurity consulting and managed security. And no, this isn't a commercial. I'm telling you. Well, that, that yeah, that is a commercial. I'm not doing a commercial for them. This is one of about fifteen that were published this week. Last week, another few were published, and I played a couple of for you. This there I I don't know what to tell you. My feeds are getting inundated with this. They're buying ads in a lot of the different news outlets. It is whatever is going on. There's something behind the scenes going on with cybersecurity. It's like a it's like the time to make money right now. Maybe it's all this Russia hype. Speaking of Russia hype. Apparently apparently some of Hillary's biggest allies were duped by the Russians. Yeah. Russian bots no less.
4: Tonight, more influential Americans sharing social media posts backed by the Russians in the lead-up to the election. Famous Twitter users with big followings from Ivanka Trump to journalists Jake Tapper and Chris Hayes to comedians Trevor Noah and Sarah Silverman. Oh, not Sarah Silverman! Shared tweets that came from (laughs) nearly 37,000 accounts linked to Russia. Facebook also now admitting 150 million Americans may have been exposed to Russian posts like this one. Both Facebook and Twitter say the posts linked to Russia were a small fraction of what Americans saw during the election. But both platforms allowed the Russians to target Americans by zip code, interests, and background.
0: Is that maybe like how their whole ad system works? Like advertising almost.
4: In effect, weaponizing the posts to influence very influential people. That precise targeting? The reason why Facebook's ad revenue jumped 50% since last year.
0: Yeah, that's why. Yeah, not because it was an election and everybody who's in ads goes bonanzas when, there's a, when there is an election going on.
4: Bringing in more than $10 billion in the last three months. Zuckerberg told investors last night he would not put profits over people.
5: We built these tools to help people connect and to bring us closer together. And they use them to try to undermine our values.
0: Actually, I believe, I believe you built this tool to get pictures of the hot girls in school.
5: What they did is wrong, and we are not going to stand for it.
0: They bought ads on your system designed to sell ads. The new revelations come after Congress grilled
4: tech executives about Russia's attempt to meddle in the election on social media.
6: Do you believe that any of your companies have identified the full scope Of Russian active measures on your platform. Senator, our our investigation continues.
0: Now, the thing that uh, alarms me about this is it's it really seems to be a push to get in further with social media. I saw another story about Instagram. There's an Instagram story uh, where uh, there propaganda. Russian propaganda was distributed via Instagram. And uh, that, you've got to make sure you've got to get Google Plus on there, got to get them too, might as well, right? I mean, I, maybe. Got to get Facebook, got to get Twitter, got to get Instagram, got to get WhatsApp and Telegram. Got to make sure we get them all. Got to make sure they're all part of it. That way they can all be included. It's all about Russia. Russia, Russia, Russia. And uh, Russian sanctions, too.
7: In a separate claim of Russian meddling, a U.S. government department recently sent a letter to tech giants warning of Russian efforts to manipulate the energy market via social media.
0: Oh, yeah, this was good. I thought I was looking for the clip and I didn't I thought I didn't have it. I was just being a dummy. This is it right here. So this so get this. This is this is some good stuff. Russia using Instagram to influence the oil market.
8: Congress has a responsibility to bring transparency to social media when their content affects important matters of American public policy. On October 23rd, 2017, it was reported that Instagram, a social media platform owned by Facebook, was utilized by Russian antagonists to influence the U.S. energy market. They're everywhere, guys. This recent revelation confirms the committee's suspicion. Russia has explored... Now, is it possible? Sure,
0: sure. Uh, I'm just, I'm not buying the fundamental premise that doing anything on these social media sites has any meaningful impact in the market or in the in the public, I, I'm in the voter base. I'm not buying that premise to begin with. I'm not saying they weren't on Instagram.
8: ...voited American social media platforms in an effort to influence the U.S. energy market.
7: The letter was referring to alleged Russian support for U.S. activists campaigning against the North Dakota pipeline.
0: You see, you see... The, the, the protesters for the North Dakota pipeline were inspired by Russians, but not just Russians, Russian bots, even, even the Native Americans.
7: According to reports in the U.S. media, the Russian government used bots on Instagram to encourage Native Americans to defend their land.
0: Yeah, that's right. Instagram bots is what inspired Native Americans to defend their land, not their deep, deep respect and entire culture around their land. Against the controversial project...
7: In addition, the U.S. government has stepped up its sanctions on Russia's energy sector over Moscow's alleged interference in Ukraine. The latest measures unveiled on Tuesday by the U.S. Treasury put extra restrictions on firms working with Russian oil companies. They focus specifically on deep water, Arctic and shale projects. There
0: you go. There you go. You got to get them back for that 4D chess. I mean, using Instagram to start the the pipeline, uh, that uh, protest, that's just didn't even think of that. Didn't even think of that. Maybe I should have thought of that.
9: The legal vice may be tightening on President Trump's former national security advisor, Michael Flynn. Oh,
0: we've been wondering when Flynn would come in, didn't we?
9: Multiple sources familiar with the investigation tell NBC News. Federal investigators...
0: That's code for leaks.
9: ...have gathered enough evidence to bring charges in their investigation of Flynn and his son, Michael G. Flynn. The elder Flynn was fired after just 24 days on the job for lying about his contacts with the Russian ambassador. Mr. Trump has downplayed... Any connections between Flynn and Russia.
10: I do think he's a fine man.
9: Under scrutiny, Flynn was paid nearly $34,000 to speak at a 2015 Moscow gala and seen sitting next to the Russian President Vladimir Putin while he was informally advising the Trump campaign. Sources indicate special counsel Robert Mueller is zeroing in on Flynn's lobbying work and whether he laundered money or lied to federal authorities about his overseas contacts and whether Flynn attempted to
0: orchestrate the removal of a chief rival of Turkey's president from the US to Turkey. Now that is where I think they might get him. See this all comes back to these little backroom deals for overthrowing governments or putting weight behind different administrations. It's what it, it's it's what it really keeps coming back to. Either it's in It's either in Turkey or Ukraine. It's both Manafort and Flynn's case. It's essentially the same kind of stuff. In exchange for millions of dollars, sources confirm
9: Flynn's son, who worked on the Trump campaign and briefly on the transition, could also face charges. If Michael Flynn, the elder Michael Flynn, were to cooperate with investigators that could
11: both save his son and potentially limit any consequences that he himself
9: faces. It's the latest chapter in the Russia probe and comes after indictments last week of Trump's former campaign chair, Paul Manafort,
0: which you can find more coverage in last week's episode. Let's keep going because I want to I want to transition from Russia into Donna's book here pretty quick because it covers a lot of Russia stuff, too. Um, but I think we need to just reassert some fundamental premises around this Russia hack, because if you if you read Donna Brazil's book, it was Russia. It was absolutely Russia. They were behind all the hacking. It was all Russia. And if you listen to Robbie Mook from the Clinton campaign he even to just yesterday it's Russia it's Russia it's Russia it's always it's being still being blamed on Russia the the thing that they are blaming the things that they are blaming is phishing attacks on DNC staffers and on Clinton staffers like John Podesta getting access to their emails collecting those emails lots of emails gigs and gigs of emails and documents and then compiling them all up, transferring them to WikiLeaks via instructions from Vladimir Putin. And then WikiLeaks picked through it all and decided when to weaponize and release them onto the public to destroy Hillary Clinton. That is the Russia hacking. And I have maintained since the beginning, it's a bullshit story. It was an insider job. I, have a, I, I think, I, think I, I have my own opinion on who the insider was. and and why he was murdered. (laughs) But the fundamental idea that the Russians were this persistent, long-term threat in the DNC network has yet to be proven by anyone. You have CrowdStrike, who I don't find to be credible because they were a hired contractor of the DNC. And you have the DNC and the Clinton campaign, who I don't find to be credible in this. The FBI was never given access to the server. And there is mounting logical evidence... And there is mounting theories and conspiracy theories. There's all of these uh alternative explanations. Let's call it that. All of these different alternative explanations of where this data could come from, and none of them are Russian hack. And yet the the the, the narrative is no, it was the Russians. It was the Russians. So let's let's break down some reasons why it probably wasn't the Russians.
12: Yeah, well, I mean, uh, the claim that Russia hacked into the DNC and got data and gave it to WikiLeaks has been a fraud from the very beginning.
0: Now, this is Bill Binney. He is a former NSA leaker himself. He went through the more official channels. Uh, he worked in, I think, the satellite division of the NSA. We've played lots of clips from him in the past. He's a pretty good source.
12: I mean, we tried to find evidence of it as the Veteran Intelligence Professionals for Sanity and the evidence that came out about Guccifer 2 and that data was clearly a local download. It wasn't a transfer across the network. We even tried to transfer the data at the rate it came down. It came down at uh, basically 38 megabytes per second was the high, highest speed. The best we could do uh, in transfer rates from the United States to Europe was from a data center in New Jersey to a data center in the U.K., and we got... 12 megabytes per second.
0: So a group of former intelligence agencies came together to try to test this theory because they did forensics analysis of the data leak. They looked at the creation time, the modified dates, all of these things to, to determine how fast they were transferred. There's We've linked to the report in the past. So if you can do a site search, you might be able to find it. Uh, it's a pretty detailed Forensic analysis they did on all of the leak documents to determine essentially a lot of metadata about them, the type of systems they came from, uh, the transfer speed at which they came from those systems, the type of file systems that they were stored on they were able to get a lot of answers and so by doing that they're able to try to attempt to recreate a few models to replicate those conditions
12: that was that was with uh, service and, and, and uh, 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 data that that has to go with the packets and all uh, not <clears throat> the data rate of 38 megabytes per second was roughly just data. So if it was going across the network, you'd have to almost double it to be to be to uh, to hold all the housekeeping information that has to go with it so they can monitor it and trace it and things like that. So, I mean, it was just impossible to get that rate out of it. So the rate that was published by Mugusevra 2 on the 5 July uh, data transferred out of the DNC uh, could never be transferred across the network. And we tried it. And the further we went east into Bulgaria and Albania and things like that, the, the, the capacity just got uh, less and less. So uh, the, the best we were able to do was data centers from New Jersey to the U.K., and that was 12 megabytes per second, roughly one, uh, one-fourth the capacity just for the data and probably one-eighth to handle all the housekeeping and the data. So it, it, we'd have to have something eight times that capacity, something like a dedicated gigabit line to handle it. And that the the service providers don't give to anybody. Well, I mean, the idea that they claim the 17 (laughs) intelligence agencies that included the DNI is one of them.
0: So let's stop there. So the 17 intelligence agencies is something that's still today, today, being thrown around. And I like that he laughs because I always thought it was odd, too. The DNI, well, that's just the director's office. That's just, like, management. So who cares if they agree? They don't do analysis.
12: Uh, So... Uh, that they all uh, agreed that it was a hack um, by the russians uh, i mean that's absurd i mean there, there's only one agency there that could actually verify and that was nsa the rest of them were irrelevant to that they only they don't have the capacity that nsa does to monitor and own the entire network worldwide which they do uh, fbi doesn't they depend on nsa to, do it, to get get the data and they, invest, they investigate the data that nsa collects cia does the same thing
0: and which agency wasn't sure, which one wouldn't say with high confidence? Oh, that's right. That's right. It was the NSA. That's right. It was the NSA. Huh, funny. Um, but some people are taking Bill very seriously, including uh, your buddy,
13: President Trump. We're following some stunning new developments involving the CIA director, Mike Pompeo. Intelligence sources say Pompeo met with a the conspiracy theorist. Of- oh,
0: NSA leaker, former service member to the country conspiracy theorist now that's beautiful wolf right there He's, talk- he's talking about old Bill, conspiracy theorist.
13: New developments involving the CIA director, Mike Pompeo. Intelligence sources say Pompeo met with a conspiracy theorist some two weeks ago at the request of President Trump. Uh, the sources say uh, the president asked Pompeo to meet with William Binney. Uh, Binney is a former National Security Agency employee who circulated a conspiracy theory about the leaked Democratic Party emails last year. Binney believes the leak was an inside DNC job and not a cyber attack by Russian hackers. Even though the U.S. intelligence community concluded earlier this year that Russia did interfere in the 26 presidential election, joining us. Now... Got
0: to get that part in there. You got to always, you always got to get that in there, right, Wolf? You almost, you almost did the 17 part too. You almost did. Of course, Putin still maintains a uh, vehement, vehement, the other... vehement. There it is. Vehement denial of uh, hacking the U.S. election. Here it is. Right a accusation for you. you faced, or which is they've said a lot, is that. You people connected with Russia or backed by Russia were the people who hacked into the Democratic party's database that that, that you would also say is completely untrue did you catch it hmm did you catch it there because if you if you're not watching you might have missed his extremely extremely energized denial also say is completely untrue here it is yep he nods his head he nods his head that's it <laughs> that's just well that's Seems like that seals the deal to me. I mean, if he nods his head, then it wasn't Russia. Uh problem solved, I guess. I guess so. Okay. This book. Hacks. You know, the title itself, I think, is actually a reference to Debbie and Hillary and Hillary's team and not to the hacking of her servers. It's it's really a teardown of a lot of the Democratic establishment. It's it's pretty it's pretty bad because in there she she revises history very favorably for herself in this book, sort of reframes a lot of situations that are very favorable for her. And uh, she's able to touch on things that but that people have reported on, or that some camps have been saying for a long time to sort of make it seem like like she was always working that angle. And throughout this entire book, She's extremely respectful to Bernie Sanders. She's she always has the best things to say about Bernie Sanders, which is funny because she didn't seem to be listening to the Sanders folks back in 2016 when they wouldn't stop talking about this problem.
14: Individual leaders of the DNC can support Hillary Clinton in any way they want, but they are not going to sabotage our campaign.
0: This is December 18th, 2015. And uh, this was Jeff Weaver, the former campaign manager for Bernie Sanders in 2015
15: one of the strongest grassroots campaigns in modern history. I do believe that we have to replace the current the Democratic National Committee Mrs Sanders leadership.
0: in yep. June of 2016.
15: I know political parties need money, but it is more important that we have energy, that we have young people, that we have working class people who are going to participate in the political process.
5: There's no question to my mind, and I think uh, no question to any objective observer's mind, uh, that the DNC was supporting Hillary Clinton was in opposition to our uh, campaign.
0: Okay, so not really a secret, but I guess even it took it on a darn little while to figure it all out. But now, now she's causing divisions, right now. Now it's it's a big deal because one of our own is coming out. Explosive claims by former
16: Democratic National Committee Chair Donna Brazile are bringing attention back to last year's presidential race. In a new book, Brazile reveals the DNC struck a deal with Hillary Clinton's campaign in August 2015. It traded strategic and financial control of the committee for fundraising and investment. In response, President Trump, Democratic Senator Elizabeth Warren and others claim the 2016 Democratic Party system was rigged. Brazil's tell-all book is called Hacks, the inside story of the break-ins and breakdowns that put Donald Trump in the
0: White House. There is immediate tension in the room. I have never seen the CBS hosts so aggressive. I present you the establishment in full reaction mode. Donna Brazil is with us. Good
17: morning. Good morning. How are you?
16: I'm well. Was it a fair fight between Senator Clinton
17: and Bernie Sanders? I believe so. Look, we had five candidates in the race. Uh, Hillary Clinton, no question about it, ran a very strong campaign. She had resources in the states that met, especially those early states. She won three out of the four uh, early states, and she went on to win more votes than Senator Sanders. But my purpose in looking into what happened was to, to find out if anything happened that we did not anticipate. Oh. And what I learned was there was a memorandum of understanding in addition to the joint fundraising agreement.
0: It's going to start getting uncomfortable in a second when we start talking about the dirt.
17: That hampered the DNC's ability to control its communication and some of its financial investments.
16: And I pointed uh, that out. That's not entirely true, Donna. What happened was that in 2015, both Secretary Clinton and Bernie Sanders signed an agreement with the DNC, right? The DNC was deep in debt, and they agreed to help replenish its its coffers. Uh,
17: Nora, I, I was the vice chair of the party, and I had no idea there was a separate memorandum that gave one one candidate control over um, selecting staff in three or four departments. Now, it may not be illegal, but I thought... This was a supplemental
16: agreement. A supplemental
17: agreement that when I became chair, when I figured out, why can't I spend money? Why can't I go out there and make some other strategic investments? And because of this memorandum, I could not. So I I felt obligated as... So this memorandum,
0: which we'll get into more later because she's not giving you a lot of details, essentially gave full control... ...of the DNC to the Clinton campaign. Hiring decisions, finance decisions, communications, which is marketing and and PR and talking to the media... All of it was to be run through, approved and financed by the Clinton campaign.
17: I told Bernie I would at the convention that that I would get to the bottom of it. And I found no instances that the party rigged the process. And I wanted to make sure that Bernie and his supporters understood. But
18: your book does not seem to suggest that you think it was a fair fight. That's why I'm surprised to hear you say to Nora, know it was a fair fight. Your book seems to suggest that you're bitter, you're angry, and on top of all of that, you seem very hurt. But it doesn't seem like you think it was a fair fight, Donna. You even called Bernie to explain to him, I found the cancer here.
17: That doesn't sound so, like you think so. So I'm. I'm also. First of all, I'm a member. Of, I, I'm a member of the Democratic establishment in, in terms of. I'm on the Rules Committee. Mm-hmm. It is a fair fight. We don't set primary dates. They're set by the states. We set caucus. You called states. Bernie to tell him what? I, I called Bernie to explain to him that there was cancer that I could not destroy and i could not destroy it because of this memorandum i had two choices to make and i think bernie agreed with me one was to expose it uh and expunge it and and then disrupt the party uh in september of 2016 or to wait until the election was over with and to rid the party of 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 basically allowing any candidates but look hillary
0: clinton did something so they're all three of them trying to go right here it's kind of hard to tell on audio Donna just said that she decided to wait till after the election to try to rid this problem. And all three of them try to jump in
17: of, of basically allowing any candidates. But look, Hillary Clinton did something for the party that everyone should understand. The party was broke and she
0: let's stop there. It just gets kind of more obnoxious as we go on. I think we need to move into more substance and less discussion about that. So there is uh, this whole um, um, why are you doing this element to these interviews? Why are you doing this? Is sort of the subtext of all of the questions.
19: We are back with a bitter family fight inside the Democratic Party after the release of Donna Brazil's bombshell book, Hacks, where she revealed her thoughts about replacing Hillary Clinton with Joe Biden as the nominee. I spoke with Donna yesterday on This Week. She didn't hold back on her critics. Our Mary Bruce is tracking all the reaction from Washington. Good morning, Mary.
3: Good morning, George. Well, the explosive charges in this new book are rocking the Democratic Party and Ow. reopening old wounds from that bitter <laughs> Democratic primary. And now the book's author, Donna Brazile, the former head of the DNC, is coming out swinging against her critics.
17: For those who are telling me to shut up, they told Hillary that a couple of months ago. You know what I tell them? Go to hell. In an exclusive interview with George,
3: Donna Brazil, the former head of the DNC, tells her side of the story. The latest
17: stunning revelation, she considered replacing Hillary Clinton. I was under tremendous pressure uh, after uh, Secretary Clinton fainted to have a quote-unquote plan B. After this moment, just two months before Election Day, Brazil considered putting Joe
3: Biden at the top of the ticket. Again and again, I thought about Joe Biden, she writes,
17: but adds, I could not make good on that threat to replace her. I didn't want a plan B. Plan A was great for me. I supported Hillary, and I wanted her to win. Shocked, more than 100
3: top Clinton aides write it is particularly troubling and puzzling that Brazil would buy into false Russian-fueled oh, propaganda oh, 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 about our candidate's right.
0: health. They're throwing it on Russia. They're throwing <laughs>
3: Brazil also writes of a fundraising deal between the Clinton team and the DNC to help bail out the party. Brazil alleges it gave Clinton's campaign vast control and compromised the party's integrity.
0: All right, so yeah, uh did it. Let's get into this a little bit here. So what I have for you now is a series of audio clips, so there's no video to correspond with these. Um and there's something that shocked me in this book. And it's how often Seth Rich gets mentioned. She even mentioned Seth Rich in one of her interviews. Recently.
17: I love reading her book. If they don't like my book, don't buy it. But let me just say this. I have every right as a former chair of the party. Um, next year, I will celebrate almost 50 years of American politics. The Democratic Party is 170 years old.
19: I get that. But how do you respond? It's not just the Clinton campaign. You know, there's a lot of traffic on Twitter right now. I've gotten emails from Democrats, I bet. passionate Democrats who say they feel betrayed by all this. Any regrets? Um,
17: do I regret taking on a job uh, the second time in my life as chair of the party, cleaning up everybody's mess, taking all of the incoming, being unable to spend funds that I raise? Do I regret being on the road 100 percent of the time, being hacked by the Russians, being being harassed, getting death threats. Do I regret any of that? George, this was worse than Hurricane Katrina in terms of the emotional toll. But do I regret standing up for what's right? Helping Hillary Clinton? Helping the Democratic Party. And let me just say this. As somebody who went through the hacking experience, Hacken. being able to tell the truth about what happened with the Russians, the attack on our government, do I regret any of that? No, I wish so, I could have
19: done more, George. But do you think this helps for the book to come out? I,
17: well, George, I mean, d- this is a lesson of 2016. If I released it la- next year, they would say, Donna, you're impacting on 2018. If I release it, Donna, you're, you're impacting. George, for those who are telling me to shut up, they told Hillary that a couple of months ago. You know. Now, hold on. We've heard this part. Heard a lot of, tell me various things as well. But here's what they don't know. They don't know what it was like to be over at the DNC during this hacking there you go. They don't know what it's like to bury a child. I did Seth Rich. They don't know what it's like to... Pre- bury a child. I did Seth Rich. She's right there in the ABC interview. Various things as well. But here's what they don't know. They don't know what it was like to be over at the DNC during this hacking. They don't know what it's like to bury a child. I did Seth Rich. That I feel like is almost a warning shot. She's
0: pretty... I've been watching her... Well, I have actually followed Donna Brazile since she helped get uh, Obama reelected. But I think she's been around. She's been around for a very, very long time. She was around during Gore's run. She, she, she. I think she helped run Gore's campaign. So she's been in politics for a long time. I think she uses her words pretty carefully, in a way that Nancy Pelosi or someone else fails to do. So when she's dropping Seth Rich in an ABC interview, I don't think that's an accident. In fact, she dropped Seth Rich a lot in the book. This is one of the more memorable times.
17: Uh, I love reading her book.
0: Oh, not sorry. Sorry. These are, by the way, excerpts from the book. Uh, this is the one of the mentions that stuck out the most to me in the book.
17: I got to the office before noon on Sunday carrying a box of items I brought from home to make my office more personal. I had so much on my mind. I barely remember the drive there. When I turned onto South Capitol Street, I started to cry, but not about the situation the party was in. This would be the first time I entered the building since Seth Rich was murdered on the streets of D.C. on July 10th, and seeing the building brought back grief about his death. He had been walking home from a local bar, and barely a block away from his apartment in Washington's Bloomingdale, LeDroid Park neighborhood. When he was shot in the back and what police said was a robbery attempt. The police were there within minutes and Seth was still alive and talking when they arrived. But he died later that morning at the hospital.
0: And uh, they were all very upset about it, she says. I guess she's owning it. She's not hiding away from it, I suppose. That's interesting. Um, She never seems to indicate that she believes that he was the source of the leaks But she does state a couple of times in the book that the death of Seth Rich scared her. She moved away from windows so that way she couldn't be sniped. She closed her blinds at home. She considered buying or hiring bodyguards. She was scared for her life after the murder of Seth Rich, which I thought, that's odd. Why would would a random mugging gone wrong make you scared for your own life? And she says that a couple of times in the book. Something else that she stresses in the book is that uh, Obama really screwed over the DNC and the Democratic Party financially and left it ripe for the picking for Hillary. She's just able, she was able to swoop in like a vulture and give them the life sustenance of money that they needed thanks to Barry rolling them.
17: As I saw it, we had three Democratic parties, the party of Barack Obama, the party of Hillary Clinton, and this weak little vestige of a party led by Debbie that was doing a very poor job getting people who were not president elected. As I saw it, these three titanic egos, Barack, Hillary, and Debbie, had stripped the party to a shell for their own purposes. Barack never had seen himself as connected to the party. He had not come up through it the way Joe Biden and Hillary had but had sprung up almost on his own and never had any trouble raising money for his campaigns. He used the party to provide for political expenses like gifts to donors and political travel. But he also cared deeply about his image. Late into his second term, the party was still paying for his pollster and focus groups. This was not working to strengthen the party. He had left it in debt. Hillary bailed it out so that she could control it, and Debbie went along with all of this because she liked the power and perks of being a chair, but not the responsibilities. Oh, and she's not even saying they're doing it for malice either. The way she talks about it
0: is just very cold. She's like, this is what they did. I don't even think they were trying to do it to be mean. It's just who they are. It's how they roll. And one of the moments that I really liked is she called out the total bullshit Around the Hillary collapse at the 9/11 memorial event, and this was the moment that you heard them mention earlier, and we'll go further into in the overtime where she briefly considered replacing Hillary and Kane with Biden and Booker. is that 9/11 event. And the issue was, is that because the campaign wasn't saying anything, the press all started calling the DNC. And
17: she's at the top of the phone tree. When CNN aired the tape, the reporter said that Hillary had left the event early because she was overheated. What? Who thought that up? They made her sound menopausal, which was unlikely in a woman at the age of 67. I emailed Brooklyn to express my opinion about what a stupid explanation that was. (laughs) For a campaign that had a reputation for being closed off and sometimes less than truthful, This was a huge blunder. When reporters started calling, trying to find out what was wrong after she left the memorial, the campaign had not returned their calls for an hour. When they did, they offered up this overheated nonsense that sounded like a lie. I was calling Mignon and Charlie, trying to figure out what I should say. My phone was
0: jumping. We'll have another clip in the Overtime.
17: So it's just all of
0: these insiders, we're all calling this bullshit. Well, we're sitting here on the show going, man, this really looks suspicious. This doesn't sound right. These things don't add up. You know, they really didn't follow any kind of secret service emergency procedure for health. Like all this stuff's really strange. And people are constantly pushing back in real time in the chat room and in the comments. You guys are crazy. You guys make up conspiracy theories. And here you have it from Donna Brazil. She herself is saying
17: none of this makes sense. The fact that the press could not get a straight explanation out of Hillary or her staff meant they turned to the next person on their list. Me. I emailed advice to the campaign. Quote, the media is going to run with the health narrative, so do not sit idly by. Get a statement from a doc. Let the public see her and let it go. Don't sit on this, please. End of quote. I also offered to go on television to refute rumors that she was gravely ill. I was frantic to give the correct answer to the media as soon as I knew what the answer was. There's an obvious power
0: struggle back and forth throughout the entire book. I don't even know if Donna realizes it, but she reveals it in her writing, and that is the Clinton campaign wanted total control over Hillary's message and all communication and they didn't want the DNC screwing it up because it, to the to the Clinton campaign's view the DNC was a bunch of punks and kids that were low budget low rent didn't know what they were doing a bunch of peasants and the Clinton campaign was a lean mean president electing machine and so they didn't want her going on the TV And explaining what was happening because they didn't want her, a powerful black woman, to be the face for the Clinton campaign. And so they were silent.
17: The next time we saw Hillary on television was that afternoon when cameras filmed her exiting her daughter Chelsea's apartment in Manhattan's Flatiron District. She was smiling and waving to the crowd of press that had gathered out in the street, her eyes hidden by dark glasses. She didn't look bad, but she was not giving them an answer about what had happened on that curbside at the memorial. She said some nonsense about how she was fine and wasn't it a beautiful day in New York. Then she stopped to take a selfie with a little girl who had been waiting for her and got into the SUV to go home to Chappaqua. Again, who decided this was the best approach? She should have thanked them for their concern and told the truth about what was happening to her body. If she had been honest, we could have all moved forward. Campaigns are exhausting, and most people would understand if a candidate was pushing too hard. By shrouding this small incident with so much mystery, they made it much bigger than it had been. See, this was a problem
0: because the Clinton campaign was super secretive about this stuff. A lot of people in her lower levels had no idea. They thought it was allergies. And so I would not be surprised if this really ham-fisted solution was not just the making of Hillary
17: herself as a quick salute. Let's just do this. It'll be fine. And they also fed into this impression that Hillary was lying to us. Was this a lingering effect of the concussion she had suffered in 2012, where she was out of commission for weeks and had double vision for six months and later a blood clot? Did she have brain damage? Did she have Parkinson's? The rumors were flying all over the Internet.
0: She dropped the Parkinson's there in that part, like... Really twisting the knife there, Donna. You really, Hillary's gonna hate that part. Fascinating. She later goes just a little bit further in. I figured that was enough, though. She says, "And who would believe that if she really had pneumonia, she'd go to an apartment where her two gr- young grandchildren are? Like nobody buys that." She said. <laughs> uh, there's a lot of others. Um, I I thought I'd save you though, and just play you a few of the highlights. The one that I kind of am still scratching my head over is how the Russians got into the DNC. Now, we got some details here in Donna's book. And it's not by uh, guessing John Podesta's password. Apparently, according to Donna, they got into the DNC systems via the voicemail system. Voicemail. Specifically, by playing a Voicemail. How? Discord room, is this, does this sound possible at all to you? Here, I'll, I'll I'll play the clip.
17: You decide. They can also use voicemail if the phone system is integrated with the computer network. In the case of Cozy Bear, a voice purporting to be a female journalist left messages on DNC staffer's phone asking for information on a story. While the listener was playing the message, she was unknowingly accepting malware. So the plane of
0: the message installed the malware. Now the only way I could see that is if um, maybe the MP th- is like an MP3 that came in as an attachment, and it somehow contained like a, a buffer overflow that when you w- that could affect the player. Like they knew what your default player was going to be, so they knew that it had a vulnerability. I- I'm trying to think generously how you would get into a system. She then says once they played that voicemail, they were able to collect IT credentials on the login to their internet and have access to the rest of the network. That part seems feasible to me, but getting in via voicemail, that part I don't quite understand. What do you think?
17: Tucker? Tuckerson, go! Go,
10: People say the media are liberal, and obviously they are, but that's not the whole story. More than anything, the national media are part of the establishment. They went to the same schools as the establishment. They share the same values. They're basically the same people. If you want evidence of this, look no further than the controversy over Donna Brazile's new book. Brazile once ran the DNC. So when she says the Democratic Party worked hard to steal the election from Bernie Sanders, you can't exactly dismiss her as a partisan or a kook. And yet that's exactly what many in the establishment press have tried to do for several days. According to highly informed sources we spoke to, highly informed, top management at CNN directed its employees to undermine Brazil's credibility. Anchors and producers there were vocally offended, many of them, by Brazil's attacks on their friends, the Clintons. If you've been watching that channel, you may have noticed CNN's anchors suggesting that Donna Brazil cannot be trusted precisely because she took part in efforts to rig the primaries for Clinton. Watch. She's the one who, through somebody who doesn't work at CNN, got access to one town hall question and and sent an email, which we know from WikiLeaks, to someone in the Clinton campaign to give them a town hall question, which is completely unethical. She wasn't doing that for, for Bernie Sanders.
3: Do you take her at her word, Sam, given the fact that she lied about that CNN debate and giving those questions to Hillary Clinton ahead of time?
0: <laughs> Awkward, since that's on CNN. Yeah, so the Discord's thrown a different couple of ones. Producer Matt says, could the playing of the MP3 have triggered a flaw on the PBX? That's even less likely than triggering a flaw on the local workstation. Steve says, if there was a flaw in the player, like Ubuntu had when it ran scripts embedded in Nintendo audio files just by browsing the folder, which was last year sometime, then someone could craft a waveform that included a script that is converted to MP3. I don't think that's possible, Steve. But you are you are kind of going down the right path. If you knew for certainty that the player that would be playing back the voicemail had a vulnerability, which would mean you'd have to know that, you would know the host operating system and what patches it has, you would know the application they're using and its specific version, and you would know the email address of the person that you want to email or people, and you would know who you need to impersonate to look like a legitimate voicemail from, and how to, you would need to know how to make it look like a legitimate voicemail from the PBX system. Which means you know which PBX software they have, which voicemail system they have, and what their voicemail emails typically look like, and how the attachments are named. That is um, totally possible by, by a well-skilled agency, I'm sure. But, boy, does that seem like a lot of pre-knowledge you'd have to have before you got access to the network. It's a pretty unlikely way that they got access. It's much more likely that it was an insider leak. I mean, if you're just looking at causes that are more likely to happen, an insider leak walking out with a thumb drive versus this extremely complicated hack, which would be possible, but would require so much precursory knowledge that I would almost think you'd need to have an insider to get that information. Because, I mean, just to recap really quick, you'd have to have some idea of their network uh, authentication infrastructure too. So you kind of have to have some idea of the network to know how to get around and get credentials off the internet once you're on board. You have to have an idea of the host operating system of the employee you're targeting. And which version of Windows it is. Like if it's Windows 7, which service pack does it have? If it's Windows 10, is it like fully up to date? If which browser might, or player is rendering the file? Which specific version of that browser or, or, fi- or player that is rendering the file? And which vulnerabilities does it specifically have? And then that just gets you executing code on the local box, which then you can start monitoring keystrokes and logins. But that doesn't even necessarily get you root access to anything. You get access to whatever... Presumably a secretary or an assistant... Who was listening to voicemail had access to. And then you island hop from there. I mean it's a, It's the level of attack that... Would be extremely difficult to pull off. And I would love to have more information. I wish... I wish they would have given the server over to the FBI. So that maybe that could have eventually become public record. Right now... I'm very uncomfortable believing all of it, having been a security contractor who came in for hire to do penetration testing. There's always a motivation there. I've, I've, I, before cyber was called cybersecurity, before everybody was freaked the fuck out about IT security, the way my company got in as IT consultants is we did penetration testing. And so we had IT admins and desktop guys and salespeople. And me, the penetration tester, and we'd come in and demonstrate to them that their network was vulnerable to attack. And I would, I would, I would breach a network first. I would breach a network without any knowledge of the network, and then later I would breach the network from inside the network. Once I and and the client would pick and choose, like, do you want us to try it with a uh, basic user credentials? Do you want us to try it with no credentials? And then after I did all of that, I wrote. And it took a long-ass time to write these, a very long, detailed report designed to scare the shit out of the client and sell our services. And I've also been in the position where a client gets routinely audited by an agency or, an organi- or in, in sometimes like the FDIC, which is what I specifically have some experience with. Where if they fail an audit, they fail it. They fail a test. They will hire a firm to come in and retest after they've made the fixes. So in this case, they had to upgrade to Windows 2000 and they had to turn on a certain level of FSMB signing and fix certain vulnerabilities. Then it's my job to come in and give them a passing grade, so that way they don't get shut down by the FDIC. If the bank gets, if the bank loses its FDIC insurance, they go out of business. And same with HIPAA violations. You see, so the client hires you with a very specific goal in mind. And even if it's never even implicitly stated, it's implicitly understood by any salesman and any sales team that's worth anything at all because it's how you make a living in that industry. And if you fail to understand some of that basic give-and-take aspects of a client-customer relationship, you don't stay in business for very long. So I have an extremely hard time accepting these contractors on their face, even if you Google their name and they get great results and they seem to be well known and they have people that look like they're from military on their board. I understand all of that. And I'm still saying I'm not I'm not dismissing it out of hand, but I don't find it to be compelling, convincing evidence. And the other source of evidence comes from the Clinton campaign, and they don't provide any source of information either. So we have compelling, what seems to me, compelling evidence that suggests it was locally transferred over a LAN connection to large storage. We have someone's name, Seth Rich, that gets dropped a dozen times in this book and in an interview on ABC News, who was murdered. Who was a Bernie supporter and a panda lover. And then you have a convoluted 8-lever, eight 8D eight, eight chest layer hack on how they got in to the DNC, as an explanation. The whole thing stinks. But what I'm left with is the unshakable realization that Hillary Clinton delivered Donald Trump to the American people on a silver platter. She never had a chance of winning. And Donna makes that point over and over again, In ways that I find to be credible and I don't find to be revisionist history. Because it's it was palatable. It was palatable even here in Washington, which is a super blue state. It wasn't until the very last couple of months of the election that I even saw a Hillary bumper sticker. The I'm with her thing. Like, I saw lots of Bernie. Saw lots and lots of Bernie. Didn't see many Hillary bumper stickers until the very, very end when people sort of resigned themselves. But those aren't the type of people that get off their ass and go vote either. It's something. Because it was noticeable. And you could see it in the crowds versus Trump's and Sanders versus Clinton's. You could see it in the attendance. In fact, if you go look up pictures, they're very carefully taken to try to make crowds look large, but you can tell they're intentionally taking them and there's no really far away huge crowd shots. And they even brought out massive celebrities to try to bring out more crowd. She was an anemic candidate that didn't have a chance of winning. She doesn't have appeal. She's too disconnected from the general public. And it was time for a populist candidate. Bernie probably would have won. And if they could have switched out Joe, he might have won too. And now we have a situation where Donald Trump and Elizabeth Warren agree on the same damn thing.
15: I want to ask you one other question, uh, Senator. We learned today from former Democratic National Committee Chairwoman Donna Brazile um, that the Clinton campaign, in her view, did rig the presidential nominating process by entering into an agreement to control day-to-day operations at the DNC. Uh the Clinton campaign controlling the party's staffing, strategy, finances, communications, and that agreement was entered into in August 2015, a year before she defeated uh Senator Bernie Sanders. This must shock you. Look, this is a real
18: problem. But what we've got to do as Democrats now is we've got to hold this party accountable. Uh, when Tom Periello was first, a uh, Tom Perez was first, uh, elected chair of the DNC, the very first conversation I had with him is to say, you have got to put together a Democratic party in which everybody can have confidence that the party is working for Democrats.
0: Here's what she's really saying. There is a core group of Democrats: Elizabeth Warren, Bernie Sanders. I would bet Obama. I'm guessing there, and absolutely Donna Brazile, that all are painfully aware that the establishments, the established Democrats, are um, are causing them to lose important elections. The gig's up. The American people are sick and tired of them, and they're making the party look bad. And these these characters, like your Elizabeth Warren here and your Sanders, much more populist candidates. They're going to resonate much more with the voters, people that actually get off their butt and go vote. And they know that if they need to win, they got to get 70 year old Hillary Clinton off the top of the party. And they got to get people that are way more populist, even Bernie, you know, even Bernie, although I bet he's not running again. But even having him there and having him be a voice of that party gives legitimacy to that demographic that they're trying to reach and i think both donna and warren are fully aware of this
18: rather than democrats are working for the party and he's being tested now this is a test for tom perez and either he's going to succeed by bringing Bernie Sanders and Bernie Sanders' representatives into this process, and they're going to say it's fair, it works, we all believe it, or he's going to fail. And I Hello, very everybody. much hope he succeeds. I hope for Democrats everywhere. I hope for Bernie and for all of Bernie's supporters. They're going to succeed.
15: Very quickly, Senator, do you agree with the notion that it was rigged? Yes. All right. Democratic Senator Elizabeth Warren. There thank- you
0: go. It's rigged, she says. Uh, they got to fix that. And I think they, the reason why they know they got a, they know because they know the emails are out there. They know it's been, it's all over the internet. And they know that they're not going to win elections if if uh, every all of their voters think it doesn't matter anyways. It's all rigged. They got a real problem on their hands and they're trying to clean it up before 2018 and 2020. They got a, they got a long-term game. And of course, the people that are in power are very, very powerful. And I, I wonder if this takedown of Hillary... This sort of this is really sticking a knife in Hillary because it really shows that her camp- the the other message of the book is that by her campaign controlling the funds of the d n c and by her campaign essentially being responsible for raising funds via other shell corporations, they put a stranglehold on the funds down to lower state level democratic races, and so the Democrats were really well or were really underfunded as a whole. Because the campaign was taking contributions, this is really a beautiful moment in the book, the campaign was taking contributions to the Hillary for America fund and um, Ready for Hillary, I can't remember what the other one was, I think it was Ready for Hillary, and Hillary for America, two different funds and they could take donations for the lower states run them through there and then make small contributions to Hillary's campaign to the Clinton campaign to make it look like she was getting a lot of small donations what they were doing is they were re they were basically taking money that they were getting from in in another shell company donating that to the campaign in small amounts to make it appear as if the campaign was getting a lot of grassroots funding meanwhile Sanders was truly getting grassroots funding <laughs> Ah, speaking of funding, there's another story that could have been another just a whole show this week and that's the Paradise Papers.
9: A leak of 13.4 million files exposed tax abuses of the global elite. The so-called Paradise Papers name people and companies from around the globe who shelter their wealth in tax havens, a practice blamed for draining billions of dollars from national coffers. RT America's Alex Mahalovich is in Toronto with more. Alex, what has been uncovered with the release of these Paradise Papers?
6: One major thing has been uncovered, and that's the fact that this offshore financial system runs deep and also runs above ground with assistance from above ground. So there's law firms, accounting firms, uh, banks that are involved in this, that keep this thing alive, this offshore system. So uh, that's an interesting facet of it. And when you see that, there's political players uh, here, entertainers, uh, sports celebrities, uh, people across the board. So uh, just breaking down the System itself, it's not only even people. We're talking about corporate giants that are being found out here. Apple, Uber, uh, Nike, all of these companies are trying to avoid taxes using this offshore system. So this is absolutely massive. And this leak also differs in the fact that it's not looking at one jurisdiction like the Panama Papers. We're looking at 20 jurisdictions around the world. Now, some of the major players here, we have a list for you of. Woo! It's a bon- bonanza. So that's uh, that's RT's take.
0: Um, let me show you NBC's take on the Paradise Papers. See if you can spot the difference in coverage. Thank
9: Tonight, so Commerce Secretary Wilbur Ross fighting back after accusations he failed to disclose ties to a firm linked with top Russian oligarchs, including Russian President Vladimir Putin.
20: I think it's just an example of the press trying to find anything they can, however remote or silly, to attack the president and somehow link him to Russia. This is nonsense.
9: The leaked documents reviewed by the International Consortium of Investigative Journalists shows Ross owns a stake in a shipping company, Navigator. One of their biggest customers is Seabor, a Russian oil firm owned in part by close associates of Putin's, including his son-in-law and two other oligarchs who
0: are targets of U.S. sanctions. Did you notice the difference there uh, where uh, NBC sort of took a Russia focus on that story? It just sort of went all in on Russia for that. Blame it all on Russia. There is maybe something to blame for Russia, what's going on in Saudi Arabia. Uh, I haven't seen it yet, but I could see this being put, pinned on them.
7: In Saudi Arabia, hours after a major purge of the kingdom's political and business leadership, a senior Saudi prince and seven other officials have been killed in a helicopter crash near the country's border with Yemen. Hmm. Prince Mansour bin Makin, the deputy governor of azir province, was returning from an inspection tour when his aircraft came down. OMG, OMG, OMG.
0: Boy, what are the chances just as he's cleaning house that those guys would die? Yeah, have you heard about what's going on over there, this anti-corruption committee? It's It's a
8: shakeup sending shockwaves across the kingdom and the world. Saudi Arabia detaining top officials in a sweeping corruption probe. Among them, one of the world's richest men, billionaire investor Prince Alwaleed bin Talal. Recently interviewed by CNBC's Andrew Ross Sorkin. He has been the singular
5: face of business and finance and relationships between Saudi Arabia and the rest of the world.
8: Known for his Twitter feuds with then-candidate Trump and purchases of large stakes in companies like Apple, Twitter, Citigroup, and News Corp. Some of the detainees reportedly held here, Riyadh's glamorous Ritz-Carlton.
0: Yeah, this is the prison that they're in, the Ritz-Carlton. Let's sink in for a second. When these when these rich sons of bitches in Saudi Arabia get rounded up, uh, they go to the car, the, the Ritz-Carlton. You think they have that same treatment for everybody else?
8: The arrests came just hours after the Saudi ruler, King Salman, created an anti-corruption committee led by his son, Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman. Oh, yeah, keep that prince in mind.
0: The stated goal is to root out corruption. There are others who are whispering about whether this is really about a consolidation of power
8: the yes, ambitious it is. young prince next in line to the throne has been growing increasingly powerful launching economic and social reforms aimed at modernizing the kingdom saudi arabia tonight a nation in flux lucy kafanov nbc news in fact i think
0: um although i don't have any audio on it i think the president or the king i guess i'm sorry i'm such an asshole i don't really you know uh the prince is going to be taking over long and short of it the prince will be taking over so that's that's all developing. Saudi Arabia is also all this is happening with Yemen in the background. We'll talk more about that in the overtime. Uh, but I do I do want to take a moment before we keep going because we've done a lot of stuff, and I want to mention the patron because we only got we only got two new patrons. I'm very grateful, very grateful for all of you, um, but only getting two. It's it's slowing our momentum to our goal. And this week, I feel like I could have definitely done better shows. Could we have broken some of this up into multiple episodes? Definitely could have. And I crammed that book, too, to make it all into this one episode. I want to remind you guys at patreon.com slash unfilter that we are attempting to get to $4,000 per month and and move the show into twice a week, kind of like a supplemental show, if you will.
3: Reclaiming my time.
0: Patreon.com slash unfilter. Thanks, you guys. Who do support us over there, check out the supporter sync this week if you are into that. And, uh, by the way, the Supporter Sync is now going to be way back in the back catalog. That is uh, that is getting harder and harder to find. I wonder if we could pin a post. Anyways, so much more stuff in the Donna Brazil folder if you want to check that out this week for this uh, week's 258 folder. Now, with all of that said, it's time for the high note.
9: Mommy needs
11: a joint.
0: So let's get into a little bit of news. And uh, the best way I figure to get into that is the hard-hitting journalist, Dr. Phil, helping us learn about the risks of marijuana with kids.
20: You say you you smoke marijuana uh, for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, you said, and uh, lots of times with your mother. Do you have any idea uh, what the research says about the neurological impact of that on a teenage brain? No, and I don't care.
0: Oh, she's defiant, guys. Oh, they found themselves a defiant eye
20: roller. Um, I told her that. I told her Well, that, that tells that. me the research is correct. Mom's also rolling her eyes. <laughs> um.
0: Oh, the research is correct because she's defiant. Because she's defiant. So he goes over the effects of marijuana on teens. I thought you should know. Here they
20: are. Teenage brain are extremely well documented. Ooh, extremely. And it... Indicates that it creates difficulty thinking and problem solving. Like you know, when you're high. Problems with memory and learning, impaired reaction time, coordination and concentration, decreased cognitive flexibility and visual scanning. Yeah, they see the problem is, is none of this lands. They really gotta get better at this. Difficulty maintaining attention, lower academic success, higher likelihood of dropping out of high school, increased depression and or anxiety, higher risk of psychosis with family history lower life satisfaction and poor physical health
0: boy that is a dangerous plan yeah she looks like she has all of those doesn't she she looks like she's really suffering um i hear my i can we gotta come up with a different tact because here's the problem is you become an adult and you maybe move to a state where it's recreational and you light up and you go well fuck all that shit they said dare was totally crap it was all fake they lied to me I'm not out there doing heroin now. They lied to me. They lied to me. And it totally like just, it's, it like opens your eyes that the, the, all of this hype around this big, scary weed was, was just that. And I think it damages their case with kids. I think it, um, it makes them less credible and they need to go for a more credible kind of approach. And there's, Going to be more and more kids that have access to it, so they better figure it out because it is a money maker.
6: Is up early,
21: bringing you more news stories. Six twenty right now. There will soon be medical marijuana growing operations throughout Northeast Ohio,
18: and already the state has made millions of dollars on that process that leads to legalizing marijuana farms.
0: Now, did you catch that? I want to make sure you understand this: they haven't made weed legal yet. And they're already raking in millions.
18: James Girardi is here to break down the numbers.
0: This is going to be irresistible to cash-starved governments.
14: The state has made well over $2 million already, and these operations haven't even started.
0: Oh, certainly ecstatic. I mean... It's a lot of it just because of all the effort.
14: Dr. Matthew Noyes was one of 14 applications approved by the state to grow medical marijuana last week. He was granted a Level 2 permit, meaning he can only grow marijuana in a 1,600-square-foot area. Level 1 permits will be granted in the coming weeks. Level 1 permits will be allowed to grow medical marijuana in a 25,000-square-foot space. Combined, there were 185 applicants for both levels. Multiply that by a $20,000 application fee for level one and a $2,000 application fee for level two. The state has already made $2.2 million. And it doesn't stop there. There's an annual license renewal fee, $20,000 for level two and $200,000 for level one. The state stands to make another $2.6 million dollars every year for the e-team this morning i'm james Girardi. The
0: e-team guys that's, that's the e-team that's good that's that's yours arch oh man well there you have it archie <laughs> local news the e-team <laughs> let's keep going let's keep going down this money train because it's not just the like the local government like down down in your capital no no it's it's everybody that gets to cash in
5: mommy needs a joint Morning, marijuana money going to our school, and now some kids in Henderson apparently will benefit even more.
11: Parker Collins is live near Eastern in the 215 to explain late-night developments that made this possible.
17: Beth, it feels like I was just here, but that's because only a few weeks ago, recreational marijuana was legalized in Henderson. I mean, look up here, the sign's still out in front of this building. It's fresh. Or just last it's night, new. Henderson City Council approved a resolution to give 30% of business license fees to schools. You might remember Henderson has five recreational dispensaries. The fees to operate a facility cost upwards of
5: $100,000. Every year, the city will meet to discuss how to disperse the money generated from the
17: pot licenses, and it's not just public schools getting the money. The resolution says higher education institutions are eligible as well. So it looks like marijuana is breaking in a lot of money for the state and coming up a little later in the newscast. I've got some numbers about that that could surprise you. Oh, money.
0: man, they could surprise you. And then one more continuing in this theme of show me the money.
17: Show
11: me the money! Mommy needs a joint. Well, it's a strange catch, 22.
4: You run a legitimate business, but you're denied access to banks. That could be the dilemma facing pot shops come January. KPX Finds' Juliet Goodrich explains.
0: This is a core problem everywhere it gets legalized.
11: This is my banking system right here. Sheila Cross runs the farmer's flower business and delivers medicinal marijuana to clients in the East Bay. But she says as demand picks up, business transactions are getting trickier and, she says, frankly, riskier.
8: There's no way for us to be able to legitimately and legally take credit cards, take ATM. There's no banking system for us at all.
0: Yeah, it is a mess.
17: Why did they... Call the cops
0: <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the, it's a big problem that I've talked to a couple different shop owners here I was actually thinking about doing a vlog series on some of the cannabis industry here because it's 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 a new industry that's growing up and building itself right now everything has to be locally sourced locally grown all that small batch crap and they can't use the banking system very easily. And it causes all kinds of complications, like when you have to pay taxes.
11: Since banks are regulated by the feds, most will not touch cannabis cash. Because anything I use that money for federally is considered a crime. So do you have to stash your cash, yes. so to speak? <laughs> yes. We <laughs> all do. It's hidden. We all do. California Treasurer John Chung says it's trouble just waiting to happen. In an expected $7 billion industry beginning next year.
14: In Southern California,
10: a dispensary owner was kidnapped, tortured, and maimed oh. after being driven into the desert oh. in a futile search That's for nice. non-existent buried money. A dispensary
8: oh. operator in L.A. to pay his city tax would have to, to, to walk you know, through the streets of L.A. to the, the, the office where the tax was collected.
0: I have a message for the banks. <clears throat> hey, banks, don't be douchebags. Except the profits of a local small business, it saves lives.
8: With hundreds of thousands
11: of dollars, it's it's not a safe situation. Today, the state treasurer announced one safety strategy in order to collect marijuana tax payments, hiring armored car services to pick up the cash.
10: The cash would then be counted at the courier's facility. While the physical cash would be taken to the Federal Reserve or a commercial bank willing to take such funds, a credit would be made to the state or local taxing agencies' respective bank accounts.
8: I'm terrified. It's terrifying. Until we have a way that we can do paperless transactions, I think we're always going to be at risk.
11: The state treasurer is also looking into creating a public bank for cannabis businesses. There you go. A public bank owned by the state of California. But that certainly wouldn't happen by January 1st of next year.
0: You know what you also have to wonder, Discord room just brought it up, is this maybe an opportunity for cryptocurrencies? At the end of the year, you're going to have to pay taxes, and you're going to have to pay employee wages in cash. But you do have to wonder if there couldn't be some sort of back-end system, the store of value in Bitcoin, so that way they didn't have to keep the cash on hand all the time. Maybe not Bitcoin, maybe another cryptocurrency. But it does seem like A blockchain, a public ledger, and a currency based on math that we all agree is legitimate could essentially make some of those banks irrelevant for these small businesses. Maybe one day we'll see something like that. In the meantime, this is your veggies and protein portion of the show. I'm wrapping up here. We continue on in the overtime. I got more Donna. We got more stuff to go into. But if you got to leave... If your time is tight, I understand. So let me just give you a few bits of parting wisdom right now at this point in the show. Number one, you can get your thoughts on the show by being part of our Club 33. We'll do Chase's sack when he gets back. Patreon.com slash unfiltered to get in there. But you can still give us your thoughts and your feedback at jupiterbroadcasting.com slash contact 100% for free. Just like this here show is. And if you can't be a patron, we would still appreciate you spreading the word. And... If there's just a particular point that you want to share, I'll remind you that YouTube does offer time codes. And if you're an Overcast player, rating us in there, giving us a star, and you can also share time codes in Overcast, it's another great way to do the audio portion of the show. We appreciate that too. In the meantime, follow me on Twitter at ChrisLAS. Follow the network at Jupiter Signal. Our live times at jupiterbroadcastingcom calendar. And that live stream at jblive.tv. Um, filter should be back, I think, with a full crew next Wednesday. Big thank you to producer Matt for all of the hard work, and we'll see you next week.
17: Mommy
11: needs a joint.
0: Don't believe past Chris. Follow the voice of future Chris. Follow me into the overtime! <laughs> Thank you to our new patrons this week Who's Only two of them, actually So the rest of you are apparently asleep But thank you very much to Patricia And to Ryan You are taking our torch Into the future Over at patreon.com slash unfiltered. Thank you to you And only to you, too Apparently All of the rest of this is dedicated to you And all of our other patrons At patreon.com Slash Unfilter, where you keep us going. Thank you for your support. Now, we do have many things to cover in the overtime this week, and the O Nancy segment. It's a bit of a classic, and it's a bit of a comparison to, to really kind of to drive point to drive the point, and to to really kind of um, make a clear distinction as to where the Democratic Party has to go. Like I, I think this is a good demonstration of. Where they 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 really have a hard decision, where they got to boot out Nancy Pelosi if they want to win 2018, and especially if they want to win the presidency, and they really want to have like a strong momentum because they they're building on some momentum as of last night. It's it was a pretty good night for the Democrats, as we've discussed. Now, how do they capitalize that and actually execute wins in 2018? Well. I'll present you what I think is uh, problem number one, because it's at the heart of the party, the leadership. <laughs> Nancy Pelosi will be confused in this clip about the time of day. She will several times botch the name of her own guest. Is
2: it still morning? Yeah, it's still
0: morning. She asks if it's still Good morning, morning.
2: everyone. It includes tax incentives for corporations' buffet of tax getaway, giveaways. They're just the tip of the iceberg when it comes to the suffering under the GOP bill. (laughs) There has an adult son, Andrew, with microcephaly, who relies on Medicaid, and Michael Smith, Nabisco workers. And hearing from our special guest today, we'll lead off with Suzanne Flashman. Thank you, Susan. And you've answered the question, why? Why would they take away this uh, extraordinary medical uh, uh, deduction from med- extraordinary medical expenses
0: okay so I could keep going I don't need to I think I've made my point there I be- and I also have another I have another example
2: uh, the budget which is the framework uh, for where we go from here today they have started to unveil a tax bill designed to plunder the middle class in order to put the the uh, to put into the pockets of the wealthiest 1%.
0: She takes a big sigh there. And you can see Maxine Waters is standing behind her. I'm not sure what the big sigh is about. Maybe she's getting frustrated about having to read.
2: In order to put, the, uh, to put into the pockets of the wealthiest 1%. We have always said we stand ready to join the Republicans at the table to produce growth to perpetuating a catastrophic transfer of wealth from the middle class to corporations and the wealthy. Say it overnight.
0: Say it overnight, as she says. All right. So that's Nancy Pelosi, a key political figure in the party. And she's sort of the poster child to the quote unquote millenniums out there that think that the Democrats are a bunch of corrupt establishment bastards who have been in politics for about 20 years too long. Now, as a comparison, Let's let's look for a moment at uh, Donna Brazil who's also trying to get power in the party here. And notice how she dances around the MSNBC co-host, engages them, speaks clearly, and then brings each one of them into the conversation. She's doing better than all of them. She's handling all of them at once. It's a totally another other scale than say Nancy Pelosi.
21: Former interim chair of the Democratic National Committee, Donna Brazil, She's out with the new book, you may have heard, titled Hacks, the inside story of the breakings yeah, and have breakdowns heard. that put Donald Trump in the White House. Donna, good morning. It's good to see you. We're going to talk about the book in depth for, uh, in just a moment. I want to ask you about what we saw last night. State of Virginia, state of Maine, state of New Jersey, here in New York City. What happened?
17: Uh, Charlottesville, uh, George, I mean, all of the seats that were flipped last night. You know, I, I guess to quote the godfather, so I feel good. James Brown, absolutely. <laughs> I feel good because for the first time in, in a, I would say, in two election cycles, especially off-year election cycles, Democrats are holding their own. This was a blue wave. This was not just the National Party invested in down-ballot races. Also, this was, don't you
0: find it interesting that she has been under fire for This book and she is saying <clears throat> things that are extremely controversial and she's naming names. And yet here she is now playing the role of of a DNC spokesperson. She doesn't hold a DNC position currently. She's on the rules committee, but she doesn't hold a DNC position. She's not in office. But you see how she's positioning herself as an eloquent spokesperson for the party a day after a big victory.
17: This was grassroots Democrats saying, I am taking back my city council. I am taking back my sheriff's seat. I am taking back my state delegate seat. Two weeks ago, and you'll like this, John. I, I... You see how she turns to John, she she points to John, she says his name, and she springs
0: John in, who is his uh, background here is he's sort of her bigger biggest critic at the table. Uh, he's the one that's most critical of her book at the table. Uh, he's spoken, so. he said so on the show before.
17: So she knows that that's her number one opponent. At my state delegate seat. Two weeks ago, and you'll like this, John, I, I left D.C. I, I came down from Boston, Mika, and I went down to Northern Virginia. I said, what the hell am I doing with my life? I'm 57. I should be home sleeping, right? You see how she pulled in Mika there, too. <laughs> but I was out there canvassing with Kevin. And now
0: Mika's laughing because she said Mika's name, and she's drawn Mika into the conversation. So Mika's giving her a laugh
17: back. Kathy Train, they say she couldn't win that seat. She won that seat. She's the first... Asian American to win a seat in the state, a female to win a seat. I am so proud of those grassroots Democrats. They're taking back the party, and they're going to take John. back the country next Tamika year. Five percent increase in turnout. That's the big issue for back Democrats in off-season election. Turnout, turnout, turnout. So I'm proud of the Democratic Party. They invested in down-ballot races. That's the key.
21: How much was this, Donna, about Donald Trump? Yes, you were organized. Yes, people turned out. Was this all about Donald Trump?
17: There's no question. Donald Trump is on the ballot. He's going to be on the ballot until 2020 unless something else happens. Because the American People are sick and tired of his type of divisive politics. You see how she did that.
0: <clears throat> she she manages to make it about Trump without slamming Trump at all. Then says divisive politics without naming any particular scandal that she wants to be attached to. And the the hold on, well, let me back it up because there's one there's one other thing she does here that I think is very
21: smooth.
17: to win a seat in the state, a state of 5% increase in turnout.
21: Donald Trump. Yes, you were organized. Yes, people turned out. Was this all about Donald Trump?
17: There's no question Donald Trump is on the ballot. He's going to be on the ballot until 2020 unless something else happens. Unless something else happens. You
0: see how she smoothly says, yeah, maybe he'll get impeached without even saying the impeach thing, whereas the other gals would stumble around that a little bit. Here, now they throw a book uh, quote at her finally.
21: How this all started. with Last week, with the Politico piece that exploded online and got picked up all across the country. In it, you wrote in part, I had promised bernie when i took the helm of the democratic national committee after the convention i'd get to the bottom of whether hillary clinton's team had rigged the nomination process as a cache of emails stolen by russian hackers and posted online had suggested i needed to have solid proof by september 7th i had found my proof and it broke my heart you had that's our emphasis by the way on the graphic with the bold um you've said since that you never said that the process was rigged but if you read that the premise is that you went out to look and see if it was rigged. Yeah. And then later in that paragraph, you say, I found my proof.
0: The uh, panel uses her dancing around, which she doesn't answer that very well, to eventually turn this into a full-fledged attack against the DNC. Uh, it's 18 minutes long, so I'll save you from it, but it is in the supporter sink if you would like to watch it. But I draw that comparison there to show you how Donna brazil performed compared to say how nancy pelosi might perform and even when nancy's at her absolute best i'm i'm not that impressed here she is on tapper and i i will i will charitably say i think this is probably nancy the best we've seen her in about a year
15: republican senator lindsey graham says that if you and the democrats take the house back in 2018 the first thing you will do is impeach mm-hmm. president trump is that true
2: No, I I believe that whatever we do, we have a responsibility, first and foremost, to unify the nation. Second of all, you can't go down any path without the facts and the law. If that's there, perhaps it will come out in these investigations. I've been on the left of our party is still annoyed with me for not impeaching President Bush for going into Iraq. What could be worse than that? But the fact is, uh, that we've got to really be sh- saying what this election means to people in their lives. With this election,
0: yeah. So that's her, and, I and saying, I'm saying she looks her best, she looks the most clear-eyed she's looked in a long time, and she was pretty on point with her... Um with her impeachment thing. I mean, that's sort of her go to line for it. We've played that a few times on the show. I want to just do a couple more Donna clips. And then we're just gonna be all done with the Donna Brazil stuff for the overtime I and mean, get into a whole bunch of other stuff. But let's let's go more into that story that uh, Donna Brazil considered replacing Hillary Clinton with Joe Biden. And let's actually talk about that for a moment.
8: Fox News alert. The Washington Post reporting a stunning new excerpt from Donna Brazile's new book. The newspaper reporting Brazil at one point seriously considered former Vice President Joe Biden to replace Hillary Clinton as the Democratic nominee after Clinton, as you remember, fainted at a 9-11 ceremony in New York in 2016. She had been suffering from
7: pneumonia, Uh as you
12: (laughs) Brazil
8: writing Uh Uh she considered the switch in part because Clinton's campaign was, quote, anemic and had taken on the, quote, odor of failure. The story comes on the heels of the news that the Clinton campaign took over control of the DNC. She would know
0: because she was on the ground. Plus, uh, she's worked on a few other campaigns. And uh, I would say also if a podcaster in Arlington was saying it, somebody closer was probably saying it, too. But uh, let's talk about this for a second. So Biden replacing Hillary. And uh, I think it would have worked. I think I got a couple. You got to take yourself back to the context of the towards the September, September, November, October, like that whole that whole range of months. There, September and October and November was just email release after email release from WikiLeaks, and there was some really good stuff in there that was clearly showing that stuff was screwed up. If they had taken Hillary off the ticket. And put Biden on. None of those emails would have mattered. They weren't about Joe. And if they had taken Hillary off and they'd put in Joe Biden on. Well all of Trump's attacks against crooked Hillary wouldn't have worked against honest Joe. I don't even know what he goes by. He's a pedophile as far as I'm concerned. But his public image has got to be some of the one of the highest amongst the Democrats. So where does can you imagine like for a, for a brief moment they flirted with a combination I think it and I can't remember the sen- Senator uh, Booker Creep, would have been creepy Joe's vice president Senator Booker I think Joe would have won He's he he's got he's got a high appeal. He was a, a really popular vice president. And um all of Trump's attacks their entire campaign would have had would have had to reset they would have had to re-gear if they would have had to go after Joe instead of Hillary it probably would have worked also I still firmly believe Bernie could have won too but uh, don't call it rigged
19: we're in debt. But but I've seen the email traffic, and it appears from at least one email, that the Sanders campaign was offered the exact same term. They could also negotiate an agreement of their own. If they raise more money, they chose not to.
17: The The Sanders campaign set up a joint fundraising account as well, but they chose not to put money in it. But they also chose to allow the DNC to control what little funds they did put in it. This was a separate—what what this was was an additional memorandum. Right, but
19: they were offered that same thing. Here's the email. If you're raising significantly more than the amount to cover the voter file for the DNC, DNC staff would be happy to chat with the Sanders team and come to an understanding about the best way to use those funds to prepare for the general election at the DNC. So they were offered a similar chance.
17: George, when I went—when I found out the reason why the chair of the party, the chair of the Democratic National Committee, could not spend the funds, I I found the agreement myself. This is the agreement they put out. This is the agreement I found. And what I tried to do, George, was to work within the parameters of this agreement so that I could hire staff, so that I could spend money, money that we raise, and so that I could help. Hillary and Tim Kaine and all of the other Democrats went. As for, as, as for any agreements or side agreements they had with Senator Sanders, I've never seen that before, George.
19: Do you agree with Elizabeth Warren that the primaries were rigged?
17: I I don't think she, she meant the word rigged because what I said, George... She's got a fine is, line to
19: walk here
0: because she's on the rules committee.
17: You well know, after I left this show back on July 24th, I said I would get to the bottom of everything, and that's what I did. And I called Senator Sanders to say. You know, I wanted to make sure there was no rigging in the process. I'm on the Rules and Bylaws Committee. I found no evidence, none whatsoever. The thing, the only thing I found, which I said, I found the cancer, but I'm not killing the patient, was this memorandum that prevented the DNC from running running its own operations. You also write about that
19: email where you appear to share.
0: So let's let's take a moment here and uh, let's play uh, this part that's a follow-up to the clip earlier in the show about Hillary's health. And now, apparently, now that this book's out, we can all just laugh about it like, oh, yeah, it was obvious all along it was serious. <laughs>
5: well, I think the whole country was really questioning uh, Hillary Clinton's health. I still think it's a, a question mark and only...
0: I got so much hate for daring to talk about Hillary Clinton's health on this show. People, people unsubscribed from our Patreon. And, and we didn't even go super heavy into it. We just played the clips and talked about it and played the, uh, the Dr. What's-His-Face and had a, you know, just had our conversation about it. <laughs> but now, apparently, everybody was,
5: oh, everybody's talking about it. Time will tell, but there were weeks on end where Hillary Clinton, uh Clinton's uh, presence was a real question mark. I mean, she was just flat out absent. And then to actually see her collapsing, I don't think anybody brought the idea that uh, I think she said she had pneumonia. And then hours later, she's out shaking some kid's hand on the on the street corner. I I mean, nobody nobody really believed that. I think Donna Brazile is actually being responsible and thinking of a backup plan. But uh, all these other revelations, uh, what happened? It sounds like that book maybe needs to get rewritten because it was a little
11: incomplete. Oh. Yeah, well, Camp, they are obviously not happy about this new book coming out by Donna Brazile. Here's an open letter. For for Hillary for America 2016, that team, they say we were shocked to learn the news that Donna Brazile actively considered overturning the will of the Democratic voters by attempting to replace Hillary Clinton and Tim Kaine as the Democratic presidential and vice presidential nominees. It is particularly troubling and puzzling that she would seemingly buy into false Russian-fueled propaganda spread by both the Russians and our opponent about our candidates' health. So, Jason, now the Russians are to blame.
5: I, I mean that's just laughable. I mean just everything is Russia's fault, and
0: I. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You notice that? I've been noticing that too. It's funny. That's funny. I've been noticing that. <laughs> you know. Also, the other thing I've been noticing is every time there's a big corrupt group in the news, uh, there's one one man's name that's usually quickly associated with it.
11: New documents expose close ties between the Podesta group and high-ranking Saudi officials. Oh. Recently-
0: oh. Oh. Oh, the, so you've, you've been hearing about all the Saudi Arabia news and, and, then, and then this. <laughs> uh, now, let's talk about the Yemen aspect of the Saudi Arabia situation, because that is
22: obviously the larger meta story here. In Yemen's capital, lines to buy petrol grow longer as fuel prices rise higher having jumped more than 60% in recent days. The result of Monday's announcement from Saudi Arabia that it would block all Yemeni air and land routes, as well as seaports, in response to a missile attack from across the border earlier this week. Residents of Sana'a, already accustomed to a humanitarian crisis in their country that seems to grow more dire every day, are angry. This is a humanitarian crime. They are exterminating the Yemeni people, and no Muslims should be doing that. These are unjust operations. But it's not unexpected for those who kill children to close some ports. The price of cooking oil has also spiked. At a news briefing in Geneva on Tuesday, UN officials expressed deep concern. The situation
12: is uh, catastrophic in, in Yemen. Uh, It's the worst uh, food crisis uh, we're looking at in the world uh, today, seven million people on the brink of famine, Uh, millions of people being kept alive by our uh, humanitarian operation. So this is a lifeline that must be continued every single day.
22: There is also growing worry about how the blockade will impact efforts to combat Yemen's cholera epidemic with more than 900,000 suspected cholera cases and over 2,000 deaths since the outbreak began in April the World Health Organization is calling on Saudi Arabia to allow for the flow of medical aid into the country
0: so this is this is really what's going to have to probably change the situation in Yemen in, from the darks shadows of like the Uh, out of the public view and and into the public view with this usually once the kids get involved and medical gets involved the public starts to get imagery and the stories start to um, start coming in so maybe maybe we'll start seeing more coverage of Yemen we've been slowly collecting some in the background to see if we could maybe put together a special on it just kind of catch everybody up on what's going on but really not all the assets have come together it's sort of the big the big issue Um, maybe it's because really it's 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 I'm sure it's probably possible, if I'm honest with you. It's just uh, – it's a time thing. We, we, spend, we spend a certain amount of time on it, but there's just so much stuff going on that um, – well, that's what takes priority is the breaking news. Speaking of some of that breaking news, this week there was another shooting.
2: Devin Kelly killed 26 people inside this small Texas church with a semi-automatic rifle that by law he should not have been allowed to buy. In 2012, just months after beating his first wife and stepson at New Mexico's Air Force Base, Holloman, Kelly escaped a mental health facility. According to police records, an employee from Peak Behavioral Services who followed Kelly to a bus station in El Paso told police he was a danger to himself and others as he had already been caught sneaking firearms onto Holloman Air Force Base.
0: Oh boy, we're going to have a problem here. We're going to have a real big problem here because you've got the mental health issue uh, and getting access to guns and then you have on the other spectrum... They can't get into the phone. The phone of the subject was
23: turned over to us. We flew that on a DPS plane last night to Quantico. They're in the process of looking at the phone. Unfortunately, at this point in time, we are unable to get into that phone. So it actually highlights an an issue that you've all heard about before Mm. with the advance of the technology and Mm. the phones and the encryptions. Yeah, the encryptions. Law enforcement, whether it's at the state, local, or the federal level, is increasingly not able to get into these phones. This guy is half literate increasingly. So so I'm not going to describe what phone it is because I don't want to tell every bad guy out there what phone to buy to harass our efforts on trying to find justice here. Jesus. I can assure you that we're working very hard to get into the phone, and that will continue until we find an answer.
0: Here we go again. Here we go. This is it, right? This is it. This is going to be the wedge they can use. Boy, they've got, it's great, man. They got one for the mental health and the shooting and the guns, and they got one for the encryptions and the cyber and the phones. I don't know how long that's going to be, to be quite honest with you. It could
23: be tomorrow. It could be a week. could be a month. We just don't know yet. But we're going to keep working on that phone, and the other digital media that we have, and we can turn that over to the Rangers.
0: All right, so that's, that's something I'm going to be watching because I think that could be the bigger long-term story from that Texas shooting. Then, of course, you have all of the politicians that are trying
3: to make hay from a tragedy like this. So let's go to our senior White House correspondent, Jim Acosta. And the media. Uh, and, and Jim, I mean, this story started breaking at the end of my show yesterday. We're not even really 24 hours, uh, barely 24 hours in, and the president is already pushing Congress for several yeah. major changes.
1: Right. I think President Trump Brooke, uh, now has the world record for injecting politics uh, into the aftermath of a terror attack. Oh. Uh, that is exactly what has happened. In the- no, that's you, Jim Acosta, you. Last... Uh, 12 hours or so as the president has been tweeting about this and then if you look at his comments that he made at the beginning of his cabinet meeting. uh, In addition to regarding the U.S. justice system as a joke and a laughing stock, he also called about uh, or called for I should say sweeping changes to the nation's immigration system saying that uh, we should get rid of this diversity lottery system uh, that has been in place for almost two decades. Uh, Keep in mind when the president uh, blames uh, the Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer and the Democrats for this, uh, this is a program. That is, was put in place by Republicans and Democrats, and there was an effort in 2013. By-
0: you like that nice, honest, uh, unbiased reporting there from Jim Acosta. Have you noticed uh, that he's just such a huge dick, and he always is doing this crap? Like, you can report, or you can write a monologue. You're supposed to be a White House correspondent, and here's the problem: is it's his opinion that he's injecting in there? It's not reporting. Have you noticed this? Last year, CNN president Jeff Zucker gave an interview to a
10: publication, Variety, for a puff piece literally entitled How Jeff Zucker Made CNN Great Again. Pretty hard-hitting story. In the piece, Zucker explained his formula for greatness. Hard news, hard news, and yet more hard news. Quote, he said... I think our air, as opposed to others, is truly fair and balanced. Zucker said that, apparently without snickering, which raises the question, how much CNN does Jeff Zucker actually watch? Has he seen Jim Acosta lately? Acosta is CNN's senior White House correspondent. That's a title that suggests journalism rather than uninformed commentary. And yet here's Acosta from just two days ago unloading what is clearly a pre-rehearsed little editorial on CNN's air. Watch.
1: I think President Trump, Brooke, uh, now has the world record for injecting politics uh, into the aftermath of a terror attack. Uh, That is exactly what has happened in the last uh, 12 hours. You don't have to see the clip since he doesn't play the whole thing. And I wanted you to hear the whole thing.
0: Uh, Yeah, I agree, though. Jim Acosta is a little bit of a he's a bit of a maniac. And uh, I don't think I mean, Tucker, I guess what's he going to do. Right. He's having some fun. Now, there's um, one thing that you can't deny, and that is Amazon is now a monster. I've been saying it for years, and I'm not the only person to make this up, I bet. I mean, what do I know? I bet other people have been saying Reclaiming
3: this. Reclaiming my time.
0: But Amazon is the new Walmart of the Internet, and they are getting in every segment they can. They're getting rich. Show me the money! So they're going to get into prescriptions.
16: This past week, the drugstore wars heated up. The pharmacy chain CVS was reported to be in talks to acquire Aetna, the nation's third largest health insurance company. There's also talk that online retail giant Amazon could soon be selling prescription drugs. Dean Reynolds has more on this.
13: If you think Amazon has had a limited impact on the marketplace, you might try looking for your local Radio Shack or Borders Books. And now, having expanded beyond books into delivery services and lately groceries, Amazon is sending tremors through a new target of opportunity, drugstores. Amazon won't confirm such a move, but in recent months, it's won approval from 12 states to become a wholesale distributor of pharmaceuticals and medical devices. Uh Stocks of Rite Aid, CVS, and Walgreens took a hit. (laughs) Yeah, they're all down. Uh, You know,
0: even if they just could get into like a few of them, like sleep apnea and diabetes supplies or something like that, they would serve such a huge market.
12: Just from the hints. If the company even thinks about looking in the direction of a particular product or service, it, it seems to have a ripple effect.
13: R.J. hodavi is a business analyst at Morningstar.
12: I think it's going to take some time for them to really build out.
13: Because prescriptions are not books or records, and as the nation faces an opioid epidemic, the company would have to take care not to worsen the flood of pain-killing
12: medication. This isn't like a lot of the other industries they've gone after before. There's more regulatory barriers. There's data sharing barriers they got to go through.
8: You'll now be able to use Amazon Key. Amazon, Amazon
13: has already raised security Amazon questions with a new service.
0: Well, you know, you imagine. So they're
13: talking about the Amazon
0: Key service, which if you haven't heard this, you get uh, – it's a whole kit. And uh, it includes a couple of different third-party automatic Bluetooth Wi-Fi lock thingies. And uh, it's all set up with a webcam. So you get to see every time somebody comes there and they put a webcam inside – And it'll even include an installation service. And then the delivery person can unlock your front door and drop off packages at your house. That's Amazon Key. That's crazy. Nobody wants that. Except for maybe elderly folks that need prescriptions and have reduced mobility. Then all of a sudden, you could see that's a lot of people. People that, a lot of people that have reduced mobility that can't come to the door, and if, if Amazon's selling prescriptions, they're going to be opening up people's doors. People are going to just, they're going to, they're, they're going to go for it. They're, they need their medication. And you combine that with drones,
13: and now, <laughs> now you're talking. Amazon Key, which enables delivery drivers to drop off packages inside your home with a special smart door lock. Still, a recent survey by Wells Fargo found 5 out of 10 American adults would likely use an Amazon pharmacy if they could, probably because Amazon's previous entry into a particular sector has had two results. One is lower prices, and the other is happier consumers. <laughs> uh, subscribe and save to your pills, everybody. Yeah.
0: So there's uh, there's something I like to celebrate. I don't often celebrate people going to jail or prison of any kind, but... Uh, it is interesting to watch the Clinton dynasty's reach and power fade. At least this may be an example of the Clintons power fading and their team around them cracking because today was Weiner's first day in prison.
16: Uh, tonight, disgraced former congressman and convicted sex offender Anthony Weiner is behind bars serving the first night of his 21 month prison sentence at a Massachusetts prison last May. Anthony Weiner pleaded guilty to transferring obscene material to a minor after uh, the sexts that he exchanged with a 15-year-old girl became public. This episode was the last straw for former Hillary Clinton advisor Huma Abedin, who filed for divorce the next day. Filed. Since 2011, Weiner's sexting has cost him his job, his marriage, and now it's cost him his freedom. Once released, Weiner will serve three years of supervised probation and be listed on the sex offender registry, but nothing will compare to the first night.
0: Too bad he doesn't get to go to one of those Saudi Arabian prisons there where they got all the kush features. And then let's end it with uh, Joy Behar, who has uh, now become part of the Democrat establishment because she gets a TV show, apparently. <laughs> it's just amazing what, what people's cost is. She had a good price, and uh, they paid it. And so she gets a little combative with Donna Brazil. And uh, there was a line that got thrown around over and over again, and I want to play this for you because it's it's uh, hopefully will help deprogram you a little bit. And you saw people on Twitter and Facebook if you if you actually subject yourself to social media ranting and raving about this all day Tuesday when Donna Brazil's book came out that she was sabotaging the Democrats right before the election. That this was taking the wind out of their sails and that we were handing it to the Republicans. How could she do this, Donna? Why did you release it this week? Why not next week? Why not next year, Donna, was one of the questions. And the left was extremely annoyed because the talking point at that time was, this is going to ruin our chances and it's all going to be your fault. And she would have been the fault person. But now... Now that we have the benefit of time, we know that Tuesday night went great. We, went, we know that things turned around fantastically for the left. And all of the pronostications, all of the concerns, all of the telling her not to publish it, don't do it, shut up, don't talk about it, was for nothing. Because none of it materialized and it's a perfect example of how they do this crap all the time to silence people and they try to blame them and she would have been the fall person if things hadn't gone well and she has nothing to do with it. The book didn't affect it in any way.
3: Now, no, you for a second
17: because you threw a lot of people under the bus the dnc is mad at you robbie Mook is mad maybe even hillary might be mad i'm not sure about hillary i saw Mook. he's upset
0: <laughs> so if you're watching the video version here so person per, apparently joy here apparently joy is having conversations with robbie Mook and sometimes hillary but what i like is Donna just starts rolling her eyes when she <laughs> mentions hillary but then she gets more serious after that
2: <laughs> even hillary might be mad i'm not sure about hillary i saw Mook. he's upset but here's the question i have for you and i wanted to ask you why the timing of this book today's election day why are you giving red meat to hit to trump's side <gasps>
17: what are you doing donna you no know, I, I have a lot of people ask.
0: she doesn't really have a little she says that's yeah why not doesn't,
17: and, doesn't and, have a week next week <laughs> uh,
0: <laughs> yeah why not next year why not next year donna well guess what it didn't work out and we got a lot of good nuggets she likes to revision history that's for sure she's a master at that she's a master at that if you want to get it um well i've warned you i've warned you hope you enjoyed today's show that wraps it up for the overtime let me leave you with a little wisdom let me leave you with a little wisdom spay and neuter your pets goodbye everybody i think i heard that somewhere once
17: Where into your system? Why you laughing? The haters are dropping. Hell, where into your system?